Welcome everybody back to Friar Talk. Today we're going to be doing a prospect special. We've done these the last couple of years. The last couple of years we've actually done our own rankings, but as you all know, the farm system has got a little bit torn up. Uh, not really exactly the same guys that have been there the last couple of years that are there now. Um, top 30 is altogether a much, much different list. Um, but we have Sam, uh, Sam Dykstra on today, MLB minor league baseball writer. He did the Padres top 30 list on MLB.com's website um, or, M or MILB.com's website. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be going over his list, kind of talking about this, this whole system, just because if we were going to do our top 30 list, we would have almost no knowledge of a lot of these guys. So it made sense to, to bring someone in that's, that's really filled on, uh, filled in on just prospects around the league. So Sam, um, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on. Um, but what are your kind of overall thoughts on this farm system before we dive into some like specific players? Yeah. I mean, you got to start with, and first off, thanks for having me guys. This is, this is great to talk to you guys. Um, you got to start with just the effects the Juan Soto trade happened or had on this system, right? Like James Wood was one of the most exciting guys to rank last year for the Padres, just seeing him climb. Now he's a Washington national. Robert Hassel III had a really good hit tool. Now he's a Washington national. Arlene Susana was Throwing 100, touching 102. Now he's a Washington National. This is like, it, it's, I won't go as far as saying it's a decimated system. Because like going through the top 30, I found more guys that I liked than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it lacks the ceiling that, you, you know, it, it had a year ago. Um, but to the point, you guys now have Juan Soto. Like the, you make that trade to bring in a mega superstar talent. Now he's there. He's controllable for a little while longer it's not a bad thing to to make that swap because you add the pieces to begin with. But you look at who's left, Jackson Merrill climbed up our top 100. He's now a top 20 overall prospect. Yeah. Dylan Lesko, I think, was a shrewd move that they made in the middle of the first round last year, taking him despite Tommy John. I think they took a lot of risk in the 2021 draft or 2022 draft, but risk pays off. I mean, you, you have to be risky if you want to rebuild this system. Yeah, um, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm just here for support. <laughs> I'm here to answer anyone's questions in the comments. Um, but yeah, man, I'm a fan of some of these prospects. Ethan Salas, Dylan Lesko, uh, Jackson Murrow. Of course, the top guys are going to be the ones that we know the most about. Um, but the Padres overall, we know that they're going to eventually have to develop guys to match these big contracts. We're going to need some cheaper contracts to kind of pan out. And I mean, right now they're kind of doing a a stars and stars and does kind of roster. Um, and whether they do that in the future too, I don't know, but they're going to need Ethan Salas to pan out Dylan Lesko to become, you know, a pretty solid pitcher and, and pitching is going to be a big thing for this organization in the future. Uh, because, you know, Joe Musgrove is going to be older. You Darvish is going to be in his forties. Blake Snell is not going to be with us. Um, Nick Martinez. We don't know how that's going to go. There's a bunch of guys that those guys right there are just unknown. So we're going to need the Padres to be able to develop some guys into, quality to develop some quality pitchers hopefully dylan lesko is one of those but um you know i'm kind of inter interested to hear more about these prospects just because i mean last year we went in with expectations for mackenzie gore expectations for cj abrams um you know all the guys that got traded james wood was someone that was talked about almost every day when i looked on twitter when it when it came to the padres same thing with jackson merrill who's still here but even Robert Hassel last year was being brought up as, you know, one of the top, the guy that could be one of the top outfielders. Um, and obviously they're all gone. And I'm interested to know about these new guys. It's going to be interesting to hear what you have to say. 
Yeah, I mean, we can we can start with Merrill if you guys want. Like Merrill being the top guy who's left. I mean, it's always interesting when a blockbuster trade goes down and you find out like, oh, three of the top five prospects are gone. Wait, so who's left? Who did they manage to hold on to? Why was he not traded? And I think it came down to more of San Diego not willing to deal Jackson Merrill than like the Nationals trying super hard to get them. They may have taken extra players instead of going after Merrill. Um, I remember talking last spring to folks in the San Diego organization being down there for spring training. And they were saying like, yeah, he's super young. Yeah, he doesn't come from like a baseball hotbed in Maryland. But when we're trying to fill out a spring training roster, send guys over for the Cactus League, the Padres major league clubhouse is consistently asking like, hey, can you send over Merrill? They just loved playing with the guy when he was coming out of high school. And then all of a sudden to see that translate to, to Lake Elsinore, yeah, he dealt with some injuries last year, and I, I think he probably would have made Fort Wayne by the end of the year. I'm almost sure of it, um, if not for those injuries. But the way he was hitting was really special. I think they were really surprised at how good he was defensively. Uh, a lot of people kind of assumed he was going to be moving to second base someday, even though he's pretty big for a shortstop. He just didn't really have the arm for it. And then all of a sudden, he had the arm for it. He, he developed that tool, kind of took it on as his own and realize like, this is something I need to improve. And all of a sudden at the end of the year, San Diego officials were really excited by the way he was throwing the ball. Was really young for the Arizona Fall League, proved himself well there. It really comes down to the hit tool for me with Jackson Merrill. He's a guy who sprays the ball all over the field, is willing to take a pitch where it's thrown, not trying to, to pull the ball all the time. He's willing to show power to the gaps. Um, I think that power is going to fill out a little bit more as he gets into his 20s, um, but it's – you know, we grade on the 20 to 80s scouting scale and we gave him a 60 for his hit tool. At one point I had him down for a 65 and I got talked down a little bit. I would not be surprised at all if he hits in the Midwest League like he did in the Cal League, like he did in the AFL, to bump him up to a 65 or a 70 someday just because the back control, the ability to find the barrel is so good for him. And at that shortstop position, that's super valuable. That's a guy you want leading your system, regardless of what other trades you made. I mean, Jackson Merrill would lead most other systems as their top prospect. Yeah, and and he's a guy too in spring. I mean, one of the first games, I don't know if it was the first game that he was that he played in or it was the second, but he had three hits all to the opposite field. And you talk about his hit tool and be able, able to not just pull the ball, but also, you know, hit it just all over the field. And he's able to do that well. And we've actually seen that a little bit through spring here. And I think a lot of the reports out of spring with Jackson Merrill Tour that yeah, he might be 19 years old but he doesn't look like he's 19. Like he looks like he's closer to graduating than people kind of expect with his age, which is good for the Padres. Cause if there's an opportunity, maybe September, that's what some people have thought is like as a super early time to call him up. I think more likely it could be next year. If someone goes down or they want to move an infielder or something happens where a spot opens up, they might be able to just have him kind of plug and play and not necessarily be rushing him because they feel like he's already been ready for a little bit. So pretty interesting with like what we, what we've heard too from the Padres side on Jackson Merrill, because it, it didn't really seem like he was the main guy that was brought up as a top prospect. Like Isaac was kind of bringing up James Wood, James Wood and Robert Hassler talked about so much more than Jackson Merrill was. And then you kind of have two opposite directions for those guys. Robert Hassel was ranked like outside of Fangraph's top hundred prospect list. And I think James Wood was like top five or top 10 or something crazy. So it's just been interesting to see kind of the trajectory of those guys kind of change a lot. And then Jackson Merrill, it seems like people are people in the Potters organization like him quite a bit. Um, Sam, outside of him though, in the top 10, where, where do you like this? Like who's kind of standing out to you? Is there anyone that you're just like super intrigued by? 
Um, I would think that probably for our listener base, for overall Padre fans, I feel like the names that people get most excited for, Dylan Lesko, because you know we want to see him. He was really, really good, but the Tommy John, it, there's some question marks there. Salas, people love how, how good of a defensive catcher he is. And, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but Salas was, like, hanging out in San Diego with Soto and Manny and stuff and, like, part of the Padres organization immediately, which is incredible. Like, he, at least for me, and I was talking, we were talking about this, I think it was last night on the show. It, he's got to be the most like hyped guy that has not played a game yet for the Padres when they signed him. Like their signing of him was a huge deal. So it was pretty cool to see that and just see how excited everyone is about him. Um, saw some comments, Robbie Snelling. Um, I know a couple people in the chat always like Victor Lizarraga. Um, Jay Groom's intriguing too, just because he, he might, he might fill in for Joe Musgrove to start the season. So we might see him in the starting rotation come opening day. But anyone that, that that's kind of standing out to you that you're like super pumped about? Yeah, I mean, I'm just as intrigued to see Solace as everybody else. I mean, you get it. You had a guy as a 16 year old and I started making some calls this offseason about like how good do you guys really think he can be? Where do you slot him on a list like this? Because he has virtually no experience. Um, he has some stateside experience. This is not a guy who's unfamiliar to the United States. Um, his brother is a prospect in the twins organization he comes from a, a deep baseball family but normally guys like that they get sent to the dsl i was being told when i was making my calls like he's going to start stateside they're they're skipping him over the dominican complex because they think he can move quickly through the organization and he can handle a move you know to arizona that quick at just 16 years old like the age of an american high school sophomore or junior um but then seeing some video of how he was catching i know he caught a Cactus League game already, uh, and everybody was tweeting out videos of that, of just how soft his hands looked. That wasn't anything new. I mean, he's been showing that for a long time, and he was showing that to the Padres. You mentioned he was hanging out with some of the members of the Major League Club as part of, like, fan events and trying to introduce him to the larger San Diego populace. But he was catching bullpens earlier this spring of you, Darvish, like – you want to talk about the most veteran member of the staff and they felt comfortable enough to throw him out there and <clears throat> seeing some of that video that was sent to me by source, like it looked as good catching you Darvish as it did catching a Cactus league game. And you Darvish looked satisfied that this guy knows what he's doing back there, that I'm not just throwing to a kid and worried that I'm going to break his hand or something. It, it, he was in the right places. He's making the right moves. It was just like butter moving back there. Um, so what happens next to him? I mean, if the defense is this good, you can be aggressive with somebody like that because usually with catchers, it takes a while for the defense to catch up. You have to get used to calling games. You have to get used to working with so many pitchers that even if you hit really well, it's the glove that could drag you down. Now we know the glove is really special. What is the hit tool going to be? We think it's going to be really good. We think it can be plus eventually, and he's got room to grow into some power. Uh, if you look at him now, he looks kind of wiry back there, but you can see where strength is going to come from. Um, but how is that back in a, work because if you want to be aggressive with the, the glove but he's hitting 225 in the Arizona league you know it's gonna be difficult to, to push him as aggressive as they want to be but it seems like they they are prepared to potentially send him to Lake Elsinore at some point this season it's gonna be up to him how well is he gonna hit how is it well is he gonna perform but they're ready to put the the pedal to the metal with that kid not like allow him to make the major leagues at 18 but get aggressive as they as they've ever really been with an international player that's interesting. That's 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 good to hear. I mean, 
I wonder if it would be as aggressive as like, you know, the Padres bringing up 19-year-old Fernando Tatis Jr. Do you think it would be something like that? I mean, it's it's in the cards. It's difficult for catchers, right? Like catchers course, have to yeah. do so mm-hmm. much. I mean, they, it's never highlighted more than it is during spring training when you realize not only do they have to hit like fellow hitters, they have to catch bullpens. They have to work with pitchers. They have to do so many different things. And the fact that you are back there squatting, for like a hundred games, it takes a while to build up that stamina, even if you've been doing it for a while, like Ethan Salas has. So it's, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., I remember when he climbed as, as quickly as he did, he was as athletic as heck. Like he, it was clear that everything he did would translate. Now that could happen with Salas, but we need to see it over a hundred plus games. And that's not going to come until like 2025, maybe. Um, so maybe, you know, he makes it in his teens and that's super rare. But it, we're looking more like he makes it when he's 21, which is still college age catcher yeah. making the major leagues. That that would be really special in itself. Of course, yeah. Uh, what was I gonna? I was gonna ask something. I don't know if you still keep up. I feel like this is important before we get back to the prospects. Um, yeah. But I get. I don't know. Obviously, they're still not considered prospects. I don't know if you keep up much with Ryan Weathers and Luis Campusano anymore. Um, but if you do. I, I'd love to know some more about them, about maybe their production, where they're stalling down in the minor leagues, anything like that. Yeah, I, I can speak a little bit more to Camposano. Um, I remember Ryan Weathers coming up, and like it was fascinating to me when he got the call over Mackenzie Gore uh, during the COVID year. That surprised me, and it seems like he's kind of backed off since then. And I haven't watched many of his starts to be able to say like exactly what's going wrong with him. Camposano it's always been a bat driven profile. It's always been a guy who we kind of thought would be catcher slash DH or maybe have to move to first base. What is it going to be? And and the bat really hasn't come along the way you would hope it would. Like, could he have been a 30 homers guy at some point? It looks like it was tracking that way and it's backed off. Maybe part of that is, is all that defensive work. Like I was talking about with solace. Like when you are a catcher, you have more wear and tear on your body than other guys do. So trying to project a catcher to hit 30 home runs is extremely difficult. Like they have to be really special. One of our top prospects is Francisco Alvarez, who continues to show power, but the defense is such a question that not everybody agrees where to put him in a top 100. Camposano was the lighter version of that. The bat has always seemed like it's going to play. Is he going to be good enough defensively? And then if you're focusing on defensively or your defensive work, Sometimes the bat drags too. He's still young. We don't rank him technically because he has too much major league service time. I know other places do rank him still because he hasn't gotten enough at bats. Um, the the potential is there for him to be like an average regular, to be a bat first catcher, to be somebody you can play in this lineup when you don't have to worry about him being your number four, number five hitter. You can make that work. But is he going to be the middle of the lineup bat that, we thought he could be two, three years ago. Time's kind of running out on that. And and the good thing for Cavusana too, especially this year, is he's gonna he, he's gonna probably start the season as the backup catcher, exclusively hitting eighth or ninth. So there's not a lot of pressure there. Um, if he can get comfortable with a couple people, it seems like him and Musgrove are pretty comfortable. Um, him and Snell definitely had some issues, but I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but that was like a couple years ago when Snell was when when Campuson was also much younger and probably even less polished defensively because that's there's been a lot of positive reports of him like making 
progress in terms of his defense, but still like that was that's always been the question. Like even when even like three, four years ago when he was like very, very young. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him this year. I feel like this is the year where not necessarily like make it or break it, but make it or break it into the Padres future plans of if they can feel like he could be maybe a, their starter next season or a 50, 50 guy next season, or if they're just like, we don't really think this guy's that good. We might as well move on from him and go sign someone else. Um, because Austin Nola didn't do that great last year. Um, now he's fantastic in terms of calling games and stuff, but we're also wondering with the little, the, the adjustments to the rules in terms of making it a little bit easier to steal more, he struggled to throw guys out a lot last year. So that could be something where it even is kind of like, okay, well, now he's not as valuable defensively also. So a lot of question marks for the Padres catchers. And I feel like this is a year where he has a, a lot to gain, I feel like. Um, but outside of kind of these topping guys, um, I did see a question from Gil here. He asked a ton of in, ton of it, intriguing names, um, but I'm interested in the unknown prospects, not ranked in the top 30. Ramses, Velasquez, uh, Juan Murillo, both Cuban outfielders with lots of tools. Um, heard know anything about them. So before we get into kind of that back end, just a, a random question here from Gil. Yeah, I, I can't say those two guys came up in top 30. I mean, you go like 35, 40 deep on some of these systems and the Padres aren't as deep as they once were, obviously. Um, so in a system like this, if they're not coming up, uh, you know, when I'm asking around, I, I don't tend to dig that much deeper and be like, oh, my sources are off on this guy. Um, so, I mean, toolsy guys like, from the international scene, sometimes they break late. We'll see what happens with either of them. But I, I I can say right now, those were not on like top 40 list of names that were coming up when I was doing my research. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so then outside of outside of these kind of top end guys, um, I feel like names that people definitely know, Josh, Joshua Mears. People were super excited about Joshua Mears a few years back. Um, Daniel Montesino. People really like Daniel Montesino as well. Lamar King recently drafted. Um, Tirsor Nellis, he's kind of been in the Padres farm system for quite some time. But um, anyone here that you're kind of looking at that, that is intriguing to you in the in like the kind of back end of the farm? Yeah, I mean, when you bring up Joshua Mears, and we have him at 14, so he's like right in the middle there. He's so fascinating to try to rank, right? Like when you talk about exit velocity, how hard a guy can hit the ball, it's elite. Like it's 80 raw power easily. I mean, if he's making contact and you put it in the zone for him, he's going to hit it a country mile. Like that's just what he does. But every swing is intended on doing that. And he strikes out 40% of the time, which is no good at any level. But he was doing that at high A. He was doing that at double A last year. He just turned 22 years old. So there's still some time, but you watch him hit and it's just kind of, he stands straight in there and he's just hacking every time. And if he could develop any kind of approach, he could be a really special player. He could be a top five prospect. If he just had like a 40 hit tool, like projected that he could make that at the major league someday like that. That's all of a sudden we're talking about a really special guy. He just doesn't make enough contact. And, you know, talking to people who have seen him last year, I think a lot of people thought he was slowing down or he was going to slow down being six foot three, 230 pounds. But some people I talked to were like, I think he's faster in the outfield than Robert Hassel was. Now, it might take him some time to get up to that top speed, and that's going to hurt him going home to first. But at top speed, he's a, he's about as fast as as pretty much anybody in that system. So he just needs to make contact. And he's so, I, I'm really going to look hard to see what he's going to do this year because he's probably going to be 
at San Antonio, which is where you start to feel close to the major leagues, and he's usually the separator. Now, all of a sudden, if he's striking out 50% of the time, he could the bottom could fall out. Like we could be at a point come the midseason when we do our re-rank that I can't rank I can't rank Joshua Mears anymore because he's striking out 50% of the time. He's going beyond even what like Joey Gallo or Adam Dunn did. But he has that in him. He has it in him to be that type of player and to be around the majors for a while as a high strikeout, high power type. Because, it, again, the raw power is top of the scale. Yeah, it's so funny that you bring up Joey Gallo because whenever we talk about Joshua Mears, everyone seems to bring up, oh, Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo. And it's because of A.J. Preller's infatuation with, you know, his former Texas Rangers, Jerks and Profar, <laughs> Nelson Cruz, Joey Gallo. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that he's brought over to the Padres at some point. Um, but for, yeah, um, that that is true. He does hit, he hits the crap out of the ball. It's just, he, he's striking out 40% of the time and it it lasting for, you know, however long it's been lasting. It, it's, it's scary, you know. Um, but we acquired Jay Groom at the deadline last year to try and get rid of Eric Hosmer's contract. And when that type of thing happens, the player you get out of that, you normally think, oh, it's just a throw-in. You know, he's going to be a nobody. But Jay Groom was a first-round pick at one point. And his career has kind of been derailed by injuries. But I would love to know more about Jay Groom's story, what you think about Jay Groom, how how he's ascended and kind of declined in any sort of prospect fashion. Um, but what do, you, what do you think about Jay Groom? Yeah, I, I remember that 2016 draft, and that was before I worked for MLB Pipeline. I worked for MILB.com at the time, but MLB Pipeline thought he was the top pitching prospect in that draft, and he kind of fell due to signability concerns, and the Red Sox took the, the chance to draft him and ended up negotiating a, a sizable bonus to get him. But a lot of people loved the curveball coming out of the draft. Then all of a sudden, he's dealing with Tommy John. Then he's dealing with the lost COVID year. He's dealing with other injuries. He wasn't really fully healthy and out there until this year. I mean, this was – or last year, I should say. Last year was the first time in his career, and we're talking seven or six years after he was drafted. That was the first time he crossed 100 innings. And he crossed 144, so he was healthy all year. But it seems like as his career has developed, he, he had size – at six foot six, but he grew bigger than people were expecting. The velo wasn't quite there. The curveball had lost some sharpness. A lot of people thought the curveball was the best pitch maybe in that draft in 2016. It's not what it was anymore. So something was getting away from him. He seemed like the prime change of scenery person. Like he just needed to go somewhere beyond the Red Sox system. It wasn't tracking the direction you would hope it would. And by all accounts, like, Hearing some stuff this spring, he showed up in better shape than he has in a while. The velo seems to be ticking up a little bit. You guys were talking before about, like, maybe he's the fill-in for Joe Musgrove, and it's not just because, oh, he's an armor who's around. It's like he's he might have earned that spot, which is huge for him. I, I think he's probably going to be best fit as, like, a depth piece as your, like, number six, seven starter, a guy who's bouncing up and down. Maybe at some point he transitions to the bullpen as a long man out of that the occasional fill-in starter, but like given what the way he was trending towards the tail end of his time in the Red Sox system uh, to be where he is now and being talked about as a legitimate major league option is a credit to him. It's a credit to what the Padres have done with him to get him into better shape, to get a little bit extra velo out of him. And yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's the next step for him. Like, is this going to hold? It's one thing to do it in spring, 
is the velo going to hold into May, June, July? We'll see. But so far, so good. Yeah, super intriguing on him. And we were talking about it last night, too. It's just interesting when you actually like are dumping a contract and you could potentially get something out of it. And something that, and that's that was a lot of the Potters' issue in 2021 that when they had their collapses, they didn't really have anyone that they felt was ready to come up. And then a bunch of injuries came, and then it was Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez, and they pitched like four starts, and it was atrocious. Each of them had, I think they had double digit ERAs. So it was just like, it was rough. So having a guy that can come in and having potentially him. It seems like more Hones banged up again, but you also have Nabil Chris Matt. You also have Seth Lugo. You have all these guys that maybe aren't like true starters, but they can go and pitch 80 innings in a season. And that can eat up a lot of like a lot of that for your bullpen. And then all of a sudden your bullpen's a little bit more rested come postseason. So I think Jay Groom potentially being in kind of like a swing starter role would be super, super important for the Padres team. Um, so it's, it is cool to see how that's going to work. So hopefully, hopefully it looks good early on. Um, but yeah, I accidentally stopped sharing the the screen here. But was there was there anyone in that back end that you were that you're kind of looking at? Um, either I think Montesino is a guy a lot of people like. Uh, Jagger Haynes was brought up in the in the chat here. Um, people love Tirso Ornelas, but I haven't seen what he's done this spring. I don't know if he's. Yeah, I, I mean Jagger Haynes is another one I'm I'm really interested in because he's had elbow issues. I think when they took him. It was like the ultimate high risk, high reward pick because he was kind of hidden a little bit. He wasn't from a big city. He wasn't from a well-scouted area in North Carolina. Um, so a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads about why you make that move. But the Padres thought they found something with a guy who had a pretty good changeup and, and good velocity. Then all of a sudden he needs Tommy John. Then he missed all of last year as well. He's yet to pitch. Hearing some stuff about him, it sounds like this is going to be the go year for him. That's why I was – talked into still including him on the list at number 28 and he's still young i mean he, he just turned 20 last fall so you know he's still getting his pro career started than a lot of earlier than a lot of guys would out of college um but where's the velocity going to be where's the change of going to be after all that last time because not pitching 2021 not pitching on a minor league field in 2022 that hurts your development. It, it's not easy to come back from all that. Time, but I'm fascinated. If all the pieces are there and he's as raw as he was when he was picked, I mean, he could shoot up this list, but just being healthy, being out there once a week, throwing three or four innings, that would be enough to get him back into the top 20, maybe even top 15. Yeah. I have a question about Eggy Rosario. Um, sure. I think before the season started, or well, the season still hasn't started, but before Eggy Rosario's injury, um, Matt and I had kind of talked about, well, you know, this is going to be a guy that hopefully he can come in and provide some depth for the Padres. Um, obviously, he wasn't going to be a starter this year with um, the type of infield that the Padres have right now, and even the depth isn't that bad. But before Aguirre Rosario's injury, we were saying, you know, this could be type of thing where he has to fill in for for Manny or, you know, Paseon Kim. And I just want to know, what do you think he would have been prepared to take on that role or is he suited in a different role or is he not suited to be in the bigs yet? No, I think he would have been actually well suited for that. I mean, he's the perfect utility infielder to me. Like as long as that's how you're using him and not expecting him to be, you know, speaking about like earlier this off season, if you were thinking, Oh, Manny Machado might opt out. Like maybe Eggie Rosario is the future of third base. I, I don't think he's quite that. But if he's the guy who can come off the bench, show some speed, especially in today's game in which stolen bases are going to be more important than ever, 
He can show some speed off the bench. He can play multiple positions. He has enough arm for third base. He has enough athleticism for second. He can fill in occasionally at short, but he does all the things you would want off a bench bat. Like if you're playing him every day, you're not going to get a ton of power. I know he hit 20 homers last year, but I don't think power is going to be his biggest thing. You're maybe looking at like a 260, 270 hitter, but one with speed, one who can play those three defensive positions capably. That's a useful player to have around. I mean, that's why we have him number eight is like, he's not going to be a two, three win player in terms of war, but it'll be like a one or two or like one or one and a half, like a guy who can fill in, give you 200 at bats a year and still work. So it was a bummer to see that, that ankle injury uh, starting the year. Cause I thought he was going to be somebody who was legitimately playing for a role this spring, but I think he could be that by the second half for sure. Yeah, it was a bummer. I was pretty bummed. I was, I was kind of looking forward to seeing what he's, what he can bring, but um, hopefully, you know, hopefully he does step into that role come halfway through the season, whenever he's ready. Yeah, it, it definitely seemed like that was, that's kind of what we were projecting him as is a utility infielder. And I, I think that mm-hmm. that role could still potentially be waiting for him too. Um, especially cause I, I don't know what you're going to see with the infield in terms of like the future of Hassan Kim, Jake Cronenworth. We don't know how much longer they're going to be Padres necessarily. Um, but yeah, I think outside of that, um, maybe in terms of kind of overall MLB looking, are there is there anyone this season that you're really looking forward to watching in terms of either players that have barely played in the majors, have you know like a year or less of, of major league experience, or they're going to come into the majors for the first time this year? I feel like um, there's a couple bigger name prospects and kind of the group of guys that are almost like 19 to like 24 is like really, really strong in the, in the league right now. But is there anyone that it's maybe not really talked about, or, or maybe they are talked about that you're just pumped to watch? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure most of the people listening to this, like know about Corbin Carroll, but if we're, we want to stick to like NLS guys, like somebody who we saw at the tail end of last year and became one of, if not the fastest players in major league baseball, it was really exciting to see that. Um, I'm fascinated by what the D-backs can be this year. Like, I think they can be a dark horse to win a playoff spot um, because Corbin Carroll is going to be around all year. I think Alec Thomas is going to be better than he was last year. We've seen him play for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. How they figure out who plays center field between the two of those is a good problem for the D-backs to have. Um, But I I think Corbin Carroll's kind of on in position uh, this year to be – like the clear rookie of the year favorite in the national league uh, between what he shows at the plate and the way he's able to spray the ball around kind of like a Jackson Merrill, but he has a little bit more power. He's shown that already despite being kind of small. And then you add in 80 grade speed. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could finish the year with 20 homers and 40 stolen bases, 50 stolen bases, which would make him one of the most valuable players in the league period. Never mind rookies. Uh, and then you look at some of the other guys the D-backs are bringing in. They're trying to figure out their fifth rotation spot. But Brandon Fott led the minor leagues in strikeouts last year, uh, showed a really good fastball slider and changeup. Those are going to be good enough for him to be knocking on the door. I don't think he's going to wane it out of spring. Uh, but they have Dre Jamison, who has special stuff, but a little less control. Ryan Nelson, who has more control, but a little less stuff than Dre Jamison. Like, they just have that depth that I think is really well built up. They could easily be – I think this year is like Baltimore Orioles 
a team mm. that was knocking on the door of, of the playoffs last year. Didn't quite get there, uh, but the, the young talent could get them very close, if not over the top. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty interested in the Diamondbacks, too. I think they're going to be some fun to watch. And they've, we, we have some nightmares at, at Chase Field. Um, the Padres definitely have – the Diamondbacks have given us some fits there. I mean, first game last year, they walked off on us uh, in the ninth inning. But, um, you know, just going back to the Padres really quick, I know, you know, you mostly do MLB pipeline stuff and all that. Um what what do you, obviously everyone thinks the Padres is going to be good this year? But what is your take on the Padres? What do you think, and not only in terms of now, but with these big contracts, what do you think of them in the future as well? Yeah, I mean they're definitely for me they're the NLS favorites, uh, which okay. is feels weird to say, given what the Dodgers have been like the behemoth they've been over the last five years. Um, I think when I was making World Series picks like the last three years out, I picked the Dodgers every time because they were just the most loaded. They had. They brought in Mookie Betts. They brought in Freddie Freeman. They they had all these pieces. And this offseason, it doesn't felt, feel like they reloaded in a way that they needed to. Now, from a prospect standpoint, I think they have some exciting guys coming up. James Outman is a really good outfielder. Not in our top 100 just because he's on the older side, but I think he could step in and, and help them out pretty quick, replace like a Cody Bellinger, who obviously wasn't very good at the tail end of his Dodgers career anyway. Um, they have Bobby Miller coming up. They have a lot of good arms. Miguel Vargas is another good bat. But I just don't think – I think some of those guys that they're going to bring up, it's going to take a little bit of time. Whereas you look at the Padres, everybody they're bringing in, and we were talking about their rotation before, it felt like every week there for a while, it felt like they were signing another starting pitcher. Like adding Seth Lugo, telling him he's going to be a starter, and then bringing in Michael Walker and being like, actually, no – you're probably not going to be a starter. Like I, I think the Padres just made so many moves to win this season um, that they would be the favorites. Now they don't have the depth the Dodgers do. So if some of these injuries happen, like if Machado goes down, if Bogarts goes down, you, and you don't have an Eggy Rosario to call upon, like it's going to be a, a tougher sell in that first half. But the star power that the Padres have, getting a full year out, out of Juan Soto, and him hitting. 440 foot tanks like we saw earlier tonight in the WBC. Uh, they're the favorites for me in the NL West. How far they can make it overall? I mean, the playoffs are kind of a crapshoot. We've seen that, um, but I think they're going to be well positioned going into October this year. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. I feel like that's kind of. I feel like we're kind of we're kind of almost like a little more hesitant to call them the favorites. Um, <laughs> And also, we've seen the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been fantastic, a fantastic regular season team, too. And you start looking at numbers, you're like, okay, you won this many games last year. Yes, the Padres added all this, but how much worse are the Dodgers going to be? So our take has always been like, it's going to be, we think it's going to be neck and neck pretty much up until the end of the season, which, because the thing is, like, some of those guys, like, for instance, like Outman, um, if he takes over, Vargas as well, probably going to, I mean, he's got to be starting in the infield, right? With, uh, it seems like it, yeah. injury. Yeah, it's not. It seems like as long as he's healthy and he's taking actual swings now, he wasn't even swinging in spring. Yeah, for a while. A while right? there. But, yeah, but it seems like he's who they want in the middle, especially after the Gavin Lux injury. Yeah, like, a lot more is being put on Miguel Vargas' shoulder. And one thing I'll say about the Dodgers too, in a way that I don't think the Padres would be able to do, if you get to August and it's neck and neck, the Dodgers are going to be able to pull off the major trade. Yeah, well, unless they're willing to let go of Jackson Merrill, Dylan Lesko, 
or Ethan Salas. Maybe they will be. Maybe they're willing to decimate the system even more. We'll see. But the Dodgers are just so deep in their farm system that they could make another blockbuster move, pull out ahead a little bit of the Padres. That's just something to watch. But again, I think right now it's the Padres are still half a step ahead of them. Um, yeah. And they just have so much more firepower. Yeah, yeah that, that that's a great point. That's something that we brought up, Matt, in our in our in our yeah. uh, in our most recent live stream. We said, you know, although we do think the Padres could be the favorites, and and maybe that's by two and a half, three games by the end of the season, the Dodgers are much more suited to pull off a blockbuster trade at the deadline than the Padres, unless the Padres are willing to give up a, ja- a Jackson Merrill. And I think for the Padres, it's going into the trade deadline hoping that you're not in competition with the Dodgers again for a starting pitcher. Remember, 2021, they were in competition with the Dodgers for Max Scherzer. They lost out on Max Scherzer to add insult to injury. The Dodgers got Trey Turner. Now, the following year, we were a little more suited to trade for Juan Soto, and we got Juan Soto. Now, this year, you're hoping, okay, because I I truly think the Padres might need a pitcher at the deadline. Yeah. And so you're hoping. Yeah, totally. and, And so you're we are hoping that the Dodgers are not our competition to get a pitcher at the deadline. Yeah. And I'll kind of turn this to you guys then. Like, would you be willing to give up Jackson Merrill, who again, we think is a top 20 overall prospect and like the face of the system. Now, if you could get a guy who's going to put you over the top and win a division this year, let's say he's going to free agency next year. Like, would you give up Jackson Merrill for an elite rental? Like Corbin Burns? He's talking about Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns. <laughs> I, I didn't want to name names, Corbin but Burns. Corbin Burns could be that guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We actually just talked about Corbin Burns. Um, that is uh, that is a fantastic question. I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm more like, you know, I'm okay with it just because you only know you have Juan Soto for two more years. That's mm-hmm. the only guarantee you have. You're not guaranteed to have him any longer than that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, you know, I want to win a World Series while Juan Soto is here, while, you know, the guy that can be the MVP of the league or of the NL is still here while we have, shoot, even three top five NL MVP candidates. And then you added Xander Bogarts. I'm okay with it. I understand Jackson Merrill is a fantastic prospect, and there is probably no one else in the league unless someone, you know, another top tier pitcher becomes available. There's like no one else in the league that I'm saying – I'm willing to trade Jackson Merrill because Corbin Burns, I mean, you're going to face some of the top pitchers in the playoffs. You're going to have to face the Julio Urias, Kershaw, um, you know, all that Dodgers pitching staff, the Atlanta Braves pitching staff, um, some of the best pitching staffs in baseball. And I think having Corbin Burns just, it helps you so much more. And don't get me wrong, Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, they're formidable top three. Um, and, and they took down the top three of the Mets last year and took down the Dodgers last year as well. But it got to a point where you needed one more pitcher, one more good pitcher, and it wasn't Sean Manaya or Mike Clevenger, who were good pitchers before, but clearly were not suited for at least good this past year. One more pitcher would have, I think, would have done the trick. Yeah, I mean, you, you've come so far, right? Like, if you're signing Xander Bogarts this offseason in a surprise move that nobody saw coming or and nobody thought they really needed, but is a luxury item, right? Why are you cutting yourself off at the pass at the trade deadline to get like within distance of winning a division and getting a buy, you know, not having to play that wild card round against the Mets. Um, 
it, it would surprise me if if that opportunity was out there and they decided to put on the brakes all of a sudden. That does not yeah. seem like what their mo has been these last twelve months. But you know, I, we'll see. I mean, it what what else could they negotiate? Maybe you give up even solace, which I know would break a lot of hearts, but like he's a much longer term play and you yeah. give up, you, you pull off something like they did with the Nats where you give up more names and keep one of the big ones. Like they, they probably has been through this before. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they're, I think they're going to be looking to make a big swing. Like I, I, I really do. And I think it has to be the right price, but that's why I just wonder is, yeah, they might be willing to, but doesn't mean that they're going to be able to outbid for Corbin Burns because there's going to be other teams that want Corbin Burns. It's not like it's going to be, oh, it's a small market because there's only half a year of them. It's like, no, there's playoff teams that want to win, and Corbin Burns is going to help everyone or anyone a lot. So it's it's going to be interesting come the trade deadline this year, just especially for the Padres because it's like, well, they don't really have enough to be – they might get outbid easily, um, or they're going to have to like give up guys that – they really, really, really like. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. But that's kind of all I had in terms of questions, anything like that. Isaac, Sam, any of you guys want to add any other questions, any topics, anything like that? No, I mean, I'll, I'll throw out one other name because um, I know we were talking about before, like the back, back end of the list, mm-hmm. somebody to watch. Have you guys ever w- seen Alec Jacob pitch? Never. No, I think we. I think we have. I think. Uh, I think Chase isn't here tonight, but I think Chase sent us a video of him before. Um, if you get the opportunity, he's one of my favorite guys to watch pitch in the minor leagues because there is, and I say this lightly, but like there is no velocity there. This is a guy who's like touching the upper eighties. We're not talking about like he's flashing some ninety twos, ninety threes. It's touching upper eighties, but his breaking ball and his changeup. Our bugs bunny. It's really funny. Out of his uh, arm slot, it's just funky looking. He climbed four levels last year, made AAA at one point. I think they sent him back down to AA uh, before the end of the year. Then he pitched in the Arizona Fall League. He's dealing with a little bit of an issue, so it might be a little while until we see him. I think it was a shoulder uh, earlier this spring. They thought that would delay him a little bit coming out of the gate, but it's not a long-term issue. But a, a guy who climbed four levels in his first full year last year, and I just love somebody who does something different, right? Like there's so much of what we're seeing now of guys trying to touch 97, 98, aiming for those uh, upper reaches of what a human can do velocity-wise. To get somebody who just makes a left turn and was like, listen, I'm going to throw breaking stuff at you. My changeup's going to dive arm side. My breaking ball is going to break glove side. You're not going to know which pitch it's going to be until the very last second. That could be effective in today's game. It's it's literally a curveball to to hitters. So I, I don't know. He's just one of those fascinating types for me. Yeah, that sounds guys fun. Are always fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like in a, in today's game, where especially he's a bullpen guy. He's not a starter. He was a starter at Gonzaga, but like he's too old for that now. They're they're throwing in the towel on him being a starter. Um, but if you can do anything different, different is fun now. Like let's. Shoot. Give me something in a, in a ball game that I won't see anywhere else. And Alec Jacob, every time I watch him, certainly brings that. Nice. Yeah, kind of, kind of sounds like a little bit of like he could play a role, kind of like Nabil Chrismat, where Nabil Chrismat comes in um, for the Padres. It's mostly breaking ball stuff. He's not throwing. Yeah, he's, he's not, not throwing any velocity, uh-uh. <laughs> and it's a lot of just kind of 
batter just kind of stands there and just takes a strike. Like, Oh, I had no idea. That's what that pitch was and it <laughs> right in the middle of the plate. Like, um, so yeah, that'll be exciting to see. And yeah, I, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Last year, yeah, he posted a, a one, three, eight in San Antonio in 34 in the third innings. So good stuff there. Um, wow. 43 strikeouts in 34 innings. Pretty good too. I mean, he's probably fooling guys a lot, uh, especially at that level. So he's a little bit older too, 24. So, Got it. Got to potentially come up into the bullpen in the next couple of years, also. So yeah, what I what I was told is that he's going to be a major league arm for somebody, whether mm-hmm. that's San Diego, like whether they can find a, a spot for him, or whether he's trade bait for somebody else. Like he, he's going to make major league innings at some point. It's just we'll see how the velocity is going to play at the top level. But it I, bring back junk, man. Like <laughs> junk is fun. Bring it back is fun. junk. It's very. Fun. I agree. Yeah. Well. Sam, I think that's probably going to do it. I want to thank you again for coming on. Super fun. Get the insight on all these guys. Um, we'll have to see how everyone kind of develops, what the Padres farm looks like. Um, and as we already got into it, we're talking, you know, the Padres system, but we're already bringing up ideas for trades and kind of what the deadline's going to look after kind of having it depleted last year with, with basically just teenage prospects in this farm system. It's like there are so few guys that you look in on this top list and it's, they're over 20 years old. Like they are almost everyone is a teenager or like 20, 21 or 22. <laughs> um, so there's only a couple of guys that might come up this year. I, I know Isaac asked a couple of questions about Campusano um, and Eggy Rosario as well. So, you know, a couple of potential impact players, but outside of that, a lot of guys, it's, there's a, a long, a long time until they're actually up in the bigs, but it'll be, it'll be fun to see. So Sam, thank you for coming on. Thank you for everyone listening and have a great night, everybody. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you.